0: I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about personal and collective transformation. We've been exploring themes of coming home all season long, and today I want to explore the idea of coming home to creative connection, to a state of receptivity, where we are open to the multiplicity of ways in which creative knowing and insight might flow into us. But before I dive into today's episode, I want to let you know that I have a new course called Channel, which opens for registration today. Channel is an eight-week course about connecting to your creative life force in a new way, one that empowers you to tune into inspiration, drop into flow, and manifest your creative vision. With ease. I'll be talking more about it at the end of this episode, but if you're running short for time or you're just so very excited, you can check it out now at channel course.com. That's C H A N N E L course.com. Okay, so back to pulling on this thread of receptivity and what that has to do with coming home to deeper creative connection. Lately, I've been reflecting on different ways of knowing, and specifically how our hyper-rational, capitalistic way of understanding the world cuts us off from vast stores of knowledge and awareness. So to break that down a little bit, I believe that by simply existing within the dominant culture, we learn to orient towards two concepts, intellect and extraction. We learn to privilege the intellect, the mind, the brain as the most important way to process and understand the world around us, really to the detriment of probably pretty much all other modes of understanding, be they emotional Somatic, intuitive, or spiritual. We also learn to adopt extraction as our default mode for obtaining the things that we require to meet our needs. And because of their omnipresence within the cultural dialogue, these two concepts, intellect and extraction, get braided into the way that we think about everything. So that's what I want to talk about in this episode, with a particular emphasis on how those values impact the way that we relate to our own insight and intuition. I've been wondering why we regard intuition as such a mysterious and unpredictable force, why creative insight can often seem so elusive, and why we don't trust these less obvious ways of knowing. And as I've been contemplating this, what I've been tuning into is that we, as a culture, as a collective, seem to carry around this tacit belief that says, in order for a piece of knowledge to be valid or true, we need to consciously remember having learned it. In other words, if we don't understand the intellectual origin of an insight or an idea or some other piece of information, we don't really trust it. So if I don't understand intellectually why I know something, the default is to regard that knowing that information with suspicion or mistrust. And if you come at it from that perspective, if you come at intuition from a Western scientific, rational, intellectual perspective, a lot of the guidance or information that we receive can certainly seem like it doesn't quote unquote make sense because it doesn't feel logical. We don't understand how we can have this knowledge that just comes to us almost like magic through a process that's not entirely conscious. And because it doesn't make sense, because it's not logical, we mistrust this kind of mysterious way of knowing, or we don't take it seriously. Or sometimes we just outright dismiss it. But what's so wild about this standard issue dominant culture view of what type of knowledge makes sense is that it is so extremely limited. If we're only paying attention to knowledge that we've consciously absorbed, we're ignoring vast stores of knowledge that have so much to offer us. We're overlooking the massive amount of information that lives in our brains, but is not currently within our working memory. We're overlooking the incredible wealth of somatic knowledge that we are constantly absorbing, like, say, what we learn from smelling the pheromones of a person nearby, We're overlooking the epigenetic and ancestral knowledge that lives in our DNA and pulses through our nervous systems. And we're overlooking knowledge from the energetic world, from the spirit world, from the natural world. And that is a whole heck of a lot of information to overlook or to mistrust or dismiss, no? How much richer and more magical and more creative could our lives be if we began to open up to receiving all of the information that is available to us from these vast stores of knowledge? So in the spirit of thinking about all that we're overlooking, I want to share just a few small personal examples of some ways that insight or intuition has showed up for me in the recent past outside of my creative process, and how easy it would have been to ignore or dismiss these little upwellings. So example number one, when I have anxiety, it shows up in my stomach and digestive problems are kind of an ongoing thing for me. And recently, after many, many little messages, I finally noticed that my mind, or let's say maybe my instinct, kept being drawn to or pointing me to the herb rosemary. My body just wanted rosemary. And yet I was ignoring and ignoring this instinct or this intuition because I don't consciously know anything about how rosemary might heal. My digestive issues. I haven't really studied herbs that much. I don't know a lot about them. So how could I know how to heal myself with them? Right? And I almost didn't even notice this intuition because I was so resistant to the idea that I could have an intuition about herbs. But once I noticed the message, I decided to go with it. I started drinking rosemary tea regularly. And I continue to do so and I have to say it really seems to be helping me. So what was that intuition that was welling up there? Was it ancestral knowledge? Was it unconscious knowledge? Was it instinct? How much do we know that we don't know that we know? All right, so here's a second example. I was recently looking for this tiny little comic that brings me a lot of joy. It features this small stick figure who is walking on this tightrope that stretches between an exit from one tunnel and then a portal into another tunnel. So this figure is kind of teetering on this little tightrope between the two tunnels. And the text underneath it reads, I am currently going through a difficult transition period called life. So I have a photograph of this comic, but I took it a long time ago and I wanted to share it with someone, but I had no idea when I took the photo of it. And for context, I have maybe 14 years of photos on my phone, so I was like, ugh, how am I going to find this? And then I just decided to pause for a moment and and I got quiet and I tuned into myself and my inner voice. And the voice said, 2013. Now I have no conscious memory of photographing this com- this comic in 2013. I don't know where I was or what I was doing, not consciously anyway, but I trusted that voice and I went and looked and sure enough, there it was my photos from 2013. So the knowledge of exactly when I took the photograph of that comic was stored in my brain I just wasn't aware of it. I didn't know that I knew where it was. Which brings up an important point that should be acknowledged here, which is for however much credence we give to consciousness, our brains run largely on autopilot. Scientists estimate that we are only conscious of about 5 to 10% of the information that our brain is taking in and processing which means that there is a whopping 90 to 95% of information that our brains are processing and decisions that our brains are making that we're not conscious of. In other words, there are massive amounts of information that is stored in our brains that we're completely unconscious of. Things that we're seeing, noticing, filing away, but it's happening in the brain equivalent of our peripheral vision. And as it's happening, we don't quite notice that we're absorbing and that we're picking up all of these things. But if you start to think about this incredible stream of information, that 90% of what your brain is taking in that you're not aware of, it starts to make these aha moments, these moments of insight from out of left field make a lot more sense. Okay, but I'm starting to get a little bit ahead of myself. Let me share a final example of this kind of unexpected knowing or intuition that has been showing up for me in everyday life. So I went to Mexico in February, and I stayed in an Airbnb in a small town by the ocean. But I had originally booked an Airbnb in this larger city next door to the one that I ended up staying in. And what happened was, about two months before I was going to go to Mexico, I got this very strong feeling or we'll say download, that I should check the reviews for the Airbnb that I was going to stay in. And this was kind of odd because I had already read all of the reviews for the place before I booked it. So this impulse didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Like, why should I go read them again? But I decided to trust my gut and I checked the reviews anyway. And it turned out that there was a new review that had been posted since I had booked the Airbnb. And it was describing how there was this really horrible construction going on all around the apartment and that the last people who had stayed there had had to leave early because it was just completely unbearable. They also made this point of noting that it looked like a really huge construction project that wouldn't be ending anytime soon. So in other words, it seemed like the construction would probably still be going on by the time that I got there in February. Now, it's also of note that when my brain or my body or whatever part of me, you know, whatever part of my being had this intuition nudged me to check those reviews, I had just about 16 hours left to cancel my booking and still be able to get a full refund. So ultimately, I ended up talking to the owner about the construction situation, and I decided to cancel my booking. And I rebooked in this kind of sleepier town next door, which turned out to be a really great decision. So why did I have this intuition, which clearly seems practical, but is rather difficult to explain if you're very invested in a limited idea of how the time-space continuum works. I literally have no idea how or why I received this information, but I'm also really glad that I did because it was extremely useful. That said, in the grand scheme of things, it would have been really easy to overlook it because when some part of me was like, go check the Airbnb reviews for this place, I was like, why? Like That's so weird. I already booked it. Why would I look at the reviews now? This doesn't make any sense. But if we're operating off this limited view of what intellectually makes sense for us to know, we're going to miss out on a lot of juicy stuff. And that's my point here. I'm sharing these very small kind of mundane insights that bubbled up for me to indicate how easy it would be to dismiss or overlook them. You know, a craving about eating rosemary or this small knowing about where to find something in my epic photo backlog on my phone or this nudge to go read an Airbnb review. These things seem small, but they are also threads that we can pull on that lead to portals, portals that lead to wisdom that we didn't even know we possessed, wisdom that can heal us in ways that our intellect could never understand. And I keep wondering, how did I know that Rosemary was good at healing digestive complaints? Where did that come from? Did I read it somewhere years ago and forget that I absorbed that information? Does an instinctive knowledge of plants and their healing powers just live within me as a descendant of humans who not so long ago saw the fields and the forest as their pharmacy? I don't know the answer. But what I do know is that I don't want to cut myself off from alternate forms of knowledge and intuition and insight simply because I can't intellectually understand them. The intellect is such a narrow channel. And I want to be open to all of the richness and the mystery and the revelation that lies in that great expanse of the unconscious, that lies in the body and in the heart and in the sky and in the earth and in the cosmos. We are so much more connected than we think we are. And as I reflect on that connectivity, it takes me back to a conversation that I had with Sherry Mitchell, who is a member of the Penobscot tribe, as well as an indigenous rights lawyer and activist and a really wonderful writer. My conversation with her was one of my favorites that I've ever had on Hurry Slowly. Sherry talked about how separated we have become from the rest of life from the web of life and she said if we really understood the depth of our connectivity we could change our reality very quickly and I asked her how our focus on the intellect as our primary way of knowing the world was contributing to that separation and this is what she said and I should note that we had a ton of technical difficulties on this call. So there is some kind of static and interference on the line as you hear her talking. Here's Sherry.
1: You know, I think that um, we're starting, I mean, and when I say we, I mean the, the larger we of the human species, um, that that there is a process unfolding where human beings are starting to realize the limitations of that way of thinking, that way of knowing. Um, and scientific discovery is actually catching up with what uh, people who hold wisdom traditions, um, especially earth-based wisdom traditions in the world, have have known and have been trying to communicate for a very long time, um, which is that there are other ways of knowing. And uh, if we don't access those other ways of knowing, we're gonna just continue to repeat the cycles that uh, we're in right now. And so if we, if we wanna think about like somebody like um, Leonardo da Vinci, if we wanna think about somebody like um, Albert Einstein uh, and, and many others, they talk about having moments of incredible intuition um, moments of uh, dawning awareness of the, you know, the, the light bulb moment, uh, not when they were engaging their mind, but when they were in the dream time or they were walking in nature uh, and then it just came upon them. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that has been discounted for a very, very long time. Uh, but now people are starting to realize that there is actually a pathway towards knowing that is um, connected to uh, being in our bodies, uh, you know, not, not just in our head, but actually having that knowledge sink within our bodies. Uh, we've also discovered that there's, you know, what we call the three fires. Um, and so there's, you know, there's there's three by three by three. We tell the story of the three fires. and. I'm not going to get into that now because this is this is a lot. But um, the the nutshell version of that is to think about our the mind center that's in the brain, the mind center that's in the heart, the mind center that's in the gut, and so we have our our cognition, we have our emotion, and we have our intuition. Uh, and when all of those ways of knowing are in alignment and in vibrational harmony. Uh, we open to other ways of knowing that are beyond the possibility of our, of our, our rational mind that are beyond um, the reach that we have when we're only living um, six sensory lives. You know, we have to become multisensory beings who are open to uh, these other stores of information that are only available to us when we're in vibrational frequency and vibrational harmony within those three and then the other three and the other three. So it's three by three by three. Um, Those three fires are all activated simultaneously. Um, And, and we, we bring into uh, fullness, our connection to the source from which we come. Um, And also uh, we open up a doorway to all those who have lived in time before us. Uh, But then we realize that time is not linear. So we also open a doorway to all those who are living in other directions of time. Um, And we have access to stores of knowledge that can catapult us forward um, very quickly in, in relation to the evolution of our consciousness.
0: I really love that point she makes there. When all those ways of knowing are in alignment our cognition in our brain, our emotion in our hearts, our intuition in our guts, when all of those ways of knowing are in vibrational harmony, we can open to other ways of knowing that are beyond the possibility of our rational mind. We have so many other channels of knowing beyond the intellect, beyond the rational mind. And as Sherry says, if we can begin to open to these other mind centers, the heart, the gut, our emotion, our intuition, and come into resonance with them, it becomes possible to catapult our consciousness forward very quickly. So let's come back now to the other big piece at play here that I talked about at the outset of this episode, extraction this impulse to extract what we require in order to meet our needs. How does that come into play in terms of limiting our ways of knowing? I see extraction just like our obsession with the intellect as another layer of cultural conditioning that covers over our access to insight and to intuition So if you think about connecting to your intuition as a feeling of clear knowing, like looking at a window onto a view of the possibilities in your future, you can view our obsession with the intellect as a layer of shellac painted over that window of intuition, a thick coating that obscures your ability to see clearly. And then we can see our obsession with extraction as a second layer of shellac that gets painted over that window of intuition, still further obscuring our view and limiting our ability to see what's possible. And this obsession with extraction shows up in any number of ways, because, of course, it's the guiding force of capitalism But I want to hone in today specifically on how it shows up in our work ethic and our creative processes. And in the context of our creative work, I think that this impulse towards extraction shows up as the conviction that if we want to accomplish something or if we want to create something, we have to actively go out and get it. We have to buckle down. We have to put our nose to the grindstone. We have to make it happen. Which is really another way of saying that we take these traditional ideas of how productivity works within capitalism, and then we project them onto our creative process. And so we approach our creativity, we approach our inspiration with this extractive mindset. We want to control our creativity like a beast of burden, to yoke it and command it and put it on a timeline so that we can produce great work on an efficient, predictable schedule that has absolutely no mystery or uncertainty to it. And because this is our attitude, it means that when we come into the space of our creativity, we bring the energy of extraction with us. We bring this energy of pushing, pulling, forcing, demanding. This energy in which we are regarding our bodies and our minds is something from which we can and should be able to forcibly extract creativity. But newsflash, and I'm sure you already know this, this is not how creativity works. As an intuition researcher, Bill Duggan said to me on an episode of Hurry Slowly way back in 2018, your best thoughts don't come when you demand them. And this idea that your best thoughts don't come when you demand them is a concept that I have really been deepening my understanding of ever since we had that conversation. Essentially what Bill Duggan is saying and what Sherry Mitchell was saying when she referred to Leonardo da Vinci and Albert Einstein is that relating to creative insight in an extractive manner just doesn't work. We can't graft the ethos of grind culture onto our creative process and expect to have a positive outcome because it is literally impossible to force creative insight to happen. Insight arrives not as a result of grasping or pushing or pulling or demanding. It arrives as a result of relaxing and opening, of entering into a state of receptivity We all know when our best insights come. And it's not when we're hunched over our computer, frantically trying to meet a deadline, or when we're doom scrolling through our news feeds, right? Those insights come when our minds are not actively trying to execute a task. They come when we are in our bodies. They come when we're feeling open and calm and relaxed and present. They come while we're in the shower. While we're walking in the woods, while we're riding a bike, while we're chopping vegetables, or gardening, or meditating, or napping, or swimming in the ocean. They come when we're not grasping, when we're present in our bodies, and when our mind is in an open, receptive state. And the more that we can know this, that receptivity is the key to creativity the more that we can open up to these alternate ways of knowing that can help us access our insight and our intuition in a deeper and deeper way. And this practice of shifting from a state of grasping to a state of receptivity is something that I've been working with consciously in my own creative practice for many years now. And I can honestly say that the more that I have invited ease and trust and receptivity into my process, the more fluid and efficient, and honestly just plain fun it has become. I think the trick is to notice when you're moving into that energy of grasping and when you notice it, to consider how you can reorient yourself toward a more receptive state. I sometimes think of this shift as moving from a state of pressing to a state of trusting. You know, when we're pressing to get a certain result or to meet a certain deadline, we bring this kind of urgent rigidity to the process. We're not open. But if we can shift that energy into a state of trusting, trusting that we will get the result that we need, trusting that we will get the project sorted in time, then we can relax Into receptivity. I actually got to explore this practice of relaxing and letting go and trusting the process while being on a tight deadline in a pretty deep way this past fall as I was leading my tender discipline course, which some of you listening may have taken. Tender Discipline was an emergent course, which means that I had mapped out all of the lessons in advance, but I was writing the lessons themselves as the course unfolded, essentially so that I could tune into the energy of the group and write my talks in direct service to the needs of the people who were present. But what that meant was that every week I had to write a new 45-minute talk and the deadline was non-negotiable. Now, of course, my hope was always that inspiration would arrive on a schedule that would give me some nice padding before the next talk. So I could feel comfortable and assured that I was going to be prepared. But when we have a specific timeline in mind or a specific way in which we long for things to unfold, that almost always leads to a kind of grasping. So from a creative standpoint, doing that course felt a little bit like doing a high wire act for me. I felt like I was always living at the edge of, am I going to get this done in time with every single talk? And again and again, I had to make a practice of letting go of that fear of not creating on the schedule that I desired. And I had to let go of that fear that I might fail and show up empty handed and I had to make a practice of just letting go of that fear and letting go of that fear and then allowing myself to come back into a receptive state so the messages and the inspiration and the knowing that I needed to write those talks could flow in. And guess what? It worked out. Every single week, every single week it worked out. If I was able to trust myself and stay out of that fearful, grasping state and lean into receptivity. Every single week, inspiration arrived with enough time for me to write a great talk. So entering that receptive state, which is so fecund for receiving creative insight or inspiration or intuition or whatever you want to call it, entering that receptive state is also about letting go of your expectations. It's about leaving that directed, task-oriented state of mind that we spend so much of our days in. And this came up for me recently as I was mapping out a new creative project. I was sitting at my desk and I had this moment where I could feel a new way of organizing the project, a sort of innovative new way of organizing the project on the tip of my tongue or on the tip of my brain, as the case may be. And when you feel that, that whisper of an idea as it brushes past you, the way to catch it is very similar to the way that you might catch a skittish cat, right? If you approach it head on, if you run towards the cat and you try to grab it, you're almost always going to be disappointed. And now the cat, or in this metaphor, your idea, is cowering under the sofa, and who knows when it will emerge. So it doesn't work to approach the problem directly. The proper way to catch the kitty, as I'm sure you know, is to put out a bowl of milk and adopt a kind of relaxed, I don't care if you come back attitude. Essentially ignoring or forgetting or letting go of the actual outcome that you desire. So I asked myself, as I was hoping for this new idea to flow in, what is the spiritual equivalent of putting out a bowl of milk? And I pushed my laptop away. I got up from my desk. I went into the other room and I sat down on a meditation cushion. I did a few rounds of deep breathing, and slowly I felt my body start to relax into a more receptive state. I became, if you will, a bowl of milk. And as soon as I entered that warm, relaxed, receptive state, inflowed inspiration. After sitting there and just breathing for maybe, I don't know, six or seven minutes, I had a totally new approach for how I wanted to organize my project. And it was something completely different than what I had anticipated doing. And it felt like magic. And I thought, wow, if I can just shift into this receptive trusting state, the faucet opens and infinite flow and insight and vision are possible. And I really believe that to be true the more that we can allow ourselves to open into a receptive, trusting state of being, the more access we have to different ways of knowing. If we're only peering out at the world through the lens of this intellectual, extractive perspective, the view that we have of what's possible is so narrow. But if we're able to expand our aperture if we're able to open up and allow more light to flow in there are whole fields forests rivers oceans galaxies of knowledge and insight that we can gain access to so the next time you feel some tiny little insight or question or intuition or message or download come into your peripheral awareness. Even if it seems a little harebrained or unexpected or you just don't quite understand it, consider taking it seriously. Consider setting the heavy analysis of your intellectual mind aside for a moment. Consider disengaging from that extractive impulse to immediately determine the utility of the idea. And instead, consider how you might open to the idea or to the knowing or to the craving. How you might soften into just a little more receptivity, a little more of a playful attitude, a little more openness to mystery and magic. And see what arises. See if the kitten comes out to play. If deepening your connection to creative insight, vision, and flow is something that you are feeling called to, I am now offering a new course called Channel that is designed to help you do just that. I've been meditating on this course for a few years now, and I am super excited to finally be bringing it out into the light of day. So here's the skinny. Channel is an eight-week course about connecting to your creative life force in a new way, one that empowers you to tune into inspiration, drop into flow, and manifest your creative vision with ease. And as the program unfolds, we will be exploring topics like how to be in conversation with your creative life force and create space and structures for insight to flow in. We'll be talking about why movement plays such a crucial role in creative thinking and how connecting to your physicality can create more possibilities for inspiration. We'll dig into how attuning to the rhythms and seasons of your creative process can help you build more confidence and flow. We'll also confront key creative sticking points like how to maintain momentum and motivation and talk about how we can stay engaged by keying into the feedback loops and interactions that really nourish you. And we'll also explore how cultivating an understanding of what you were striving to heal through your creative endeavors can actually point you toward a deeper understanding of your gifts. We will be exploring these themes through a series of talks and guided meditations from yours truly And in addition to the talks, we will be gathering for a series of in depth co creation sessions, which will be a new feature for those of you who have taken one of my courses in the past. Each of these co creation sessions is going to kick off with a brief micro talk from me to get oriented. And then I will lead the group through a guided meditation specifically designed to help you open up a channel to creative flow. And once that channel is open, I will be holding space for the group and fielding questions as we all hang out together and work on our various creative projects. So as the course unfolds, we will be oscillating back and forth between gathering for talks and gathering for these interactive co-creation sessions. And that structure is very deliberate because I want the course to be balanced between learning new concepts, as we will do with the talks, and then practicing those concepts as we will do in the co-creation sessions. You know, it's one thing to talk about creative flow. It's another thing entirely to feel it. And as you move through channel, I want you to become very familiar with what that flow feels like so that you can drop into it again and again. Now, as I talk about these co-creation sessions, you might be wondering, do I need to be working on a creative project in order to participate in channel? The answer is no. Channel is open to and is designed for anyone who wants to develop a deeper connection to their own inspiration and vision and flow. So channel is for you if... You're in a transitional moment and you're seeking new inspiration or vision about the way forward. It is also for you if you're actively working on a project that could benefit from more creative insight, momentum, and flow. It is for you if you have an existing creative practice and would like to invite more receptivity, spaciousness, and flow into that process. And it's also for you if you're just generally interested in cultivating more receptivity and creativity in your life. So I really don't want you to feel excluded if you do not regard yourself as an artist or have a quote unquote creative job. My belief is that we are all creative. We all yearn for a deeper connection to inspiration and to spirit and to self-understanding And this course is really about opening a channel to that. And I think we all deserve that connection. Because it's summer, the eight-week schedule for channel is going to be pretty chill. There will be just one gathering every week with talks and co-creation sessions alternating every other week. All of the gatherings will be recorded, and I will share a downloadable audio recording of each session. So it's really no sweat if you have to miss a gathering or two. The recordings are going to make it easy to participate on your own schedule as well. I'm also going to continue to make all of the course content available for three months after the channel course closes, just in case anyone falls behind and needs to catch up later. You know, life comes at you fast, so it's good to have flexibility. All right, that is my whole spiel, my whole overview. I know it took a minute, but I am just so excited about this course, and I really can't wait to hang out with y'all for a couple months this summer and dive deep into the waters of creative inspiration. So registration for channel is open now at channel-course.com. If you're feeling called to deepen your connection to creative inspiration, vision, and flow, I really do hope that you can join me for this one. I think it's going to be really fun. Registration will be open now through Saturday, June 3rd, and the course will begin with a light orientation session the week of June 5th. So once again, the URL is channel-course.com, that's C-H-A-N-N-E-L-course.com to learn more about my new course on Creative Insight and Flow and to book your spot. All right, that's it for today's show. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember to take your time.